Hello, and welcome to RD and the Inbetweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of RD in the Inbetweens. This is our final episode in the series on the Viva. And in this final episode, Dr Edward Mills is going to be talking to his own internal examiner, Dr Michel Bulduc, about the similar things that we've talked about in the previous two episodes, Viva Prep, how examiners approach the thesis, but also with a little bit of a... Of a twist and a perspective from his own Viva experience. So over to you, Edward. I was really fortunate to speak with Michelle about all things relating to the PhD Viva, including my own PhD Viva, for which she was the internal examiner. First up, I was wondering if you could just uh, introduce yourself and what your kind of experience is with Vivas, but whether it's a, a, a student or as somebody who's administered them. Um, so I'm Michelle Bolduc. I'm the director and professor of translation studies, uh, obviously at Exeter. And um, in terms of uh, experience in Vivas, I would say that I've had both um, an American and uh, a UK experience. So I'll be really limiting myself and my remarks to the latter. Uh, I think it's probably more pertinent. So obviously you have done your fair share of vivas in your time, including mine. But I was wondering if if you could start just by explaining uh, what you as an examiner do um, when you when you get a thesis ahead of a viva. Presumably the first thing you do is read it. But I mean, how do you how do you go about doing that? Well, you know, it's a it's a, a really interesting question. Um, given given now that all of the COVID regulations require um the that we don't have paper copies um i i really need a paper copy in order to be able to read so um i don't know whether you know this edward but i requested uh paper copies of your dissertation um and i did so because the way that and i'm i'm going to be just very practical about it the way that i read is both by taking notes Um, with a pen, really old-fashioned, on the thesis itself, on the pages, and also on a notepad that I keep next to me. Um, So I go through, I read, I take notes on the thesis. I read it a second time, I take notes um, on the notepad. I read it a third time, I take further notes on my notepad. And and then usually my fourth reading is where I start to try to pull things um, onto some kind of a Word document um, so I I can organize the comments thematically, whether it's based on um, argument or um, language use or um, some of the uh, kinds of ideas that are linked across the, the thesis and the questions that I might have. So could I ask what, when you're reading a thesis for whether it's the first time or the fourth time, um, what do you like to see? Uh, And is there anything that sort of really frustrates you? Is there anything you look at and go, ah, good, or anything you look at and go, oh, hang on a minute, this is going to irritate me? Well, I would say that 
I really like signposting. I really like when I see what the argument is. I see clearly how the argument is progressing the way in which the student has chosen to um, or the candidate has chosen to mark out this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. Um, I pay really close attention actually to those features of argument that I don't think we teach quite enough, frankly. Um, but I, but I think that having a sense of what your argument is, why it's important, how you're going to prove it makes for a much easier reading experience for the, for the evaluator, for the examiner. But I think it's also important for you as, as a candidate to, to know, can you, can you identify what it, what it is that you're arguing and why you're arguing it, what's important about it? It sounds really simplistic, but oftentimes that's lacking. So Not oftentimes, but the time you get to the 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 viva, hopefully, <laughs> all of that is is quite uh, is clear. Is this is this sort of lack of structure or lack of signposting something you you would you would hope to sort of signal at the upgrade stage if it's not if it's not immediately clear? We do always signal it at the upgrade, um, but especially now, what we're reading in terms of the upgrade tends to be a, a very small. Uh, number of pages compared to what the the thesis ends up being there can sometimes be a little bit of an issue if if students um go through the upgrade but they're still not able to um mark out their argument in a in a very clear way it's it's really easy to get lost when you're writing your thesis and and edward um i have your thesis sitting in front of me and without the appendix I seem to recall it was, oh, like 329 pages, something like that. I think um, that's why, yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really hard over a, many, many pages like that to remember, well, how does, how does page 229 fit with what I said back on page 7? You've got to be able to, to focus in on specific places in your argument specific ideas and yet still have an overarching idea of what it is that you're doing and how each specific idea responds to that overarching idea and could i ask just for anyone who's not familiar with the term signposting obviously how ideas relate to each other is one thing but how would you describe signposting is that to do with how you signal all of that well, it's about how you signal the way that a very specific idea is important to your argument on a local level and important to your argument on a, on a general, universal, overarching level. And signposting doesn't mean anything uh, really complicated. It can just mean explaining, I am looking at this particular idea because it relates to my argument in this way. In relation to signposting is the idea of connective tissue. Um, signposting gives the reader the idea that you, you know what this particular idea is doing for your argument and in your argument. 
and you're and you're telling that to the reader connective tissue is making the connections between the ideas why is it that one idea follows another idea um that you do just simply with transitions and and i'm i'm can be that it's important in terms of the paragraph structure. But typically speaking, by the time you're getting to writing your thesis, you don't have a problem with how you link paragraphs. It's more how you move from one idea to another. Those are some really interesting and useful thoughts, I think, that a lot of um, PGRs will find very helpful. Thanks. Um, a lot of those were based around the sort of preparing for submission stage, if you like, what you do before you submit your thesis. Yeah. So I was wondering if I could talk a little bit about the, the preparation for the Viva itself. You've mentioned that you will have been reading the thesis through two, three, four times, um, mm. that you yourself prefer hard copy and that you go from notes on the thesis to notes on a notepad to notes uh, on a Word document. Um, right. Could I ask what you might suggest um, the students to be doing? At that point, how would you how would you advise um, a student to prepare for a viva if you were their examiner, for example? It's hard to do, but I think that as much as you can um, move away, step away from your thesis and come back to it as if you weren't the person who wrote it and try to work out for yourself, how would someone who is external to the process see this I think you can't do it on the computer I, I really think you need to have a hard copy in front of you I have vague memories of doing exactly that actually of going and sitting places with a hard copy deliberately no screens in front of me going through and asking myself so what with every few pages of the thesis yeah it's not it's not easy to do um I, I think that uh first when you're reading on a screen you you're not actually reading oftentimes you kind of your, your eyes just skip over words because they've become very familiar. So you really need to have, I think, the hard copy in front of you. Um, and it's really hard to, to read your own work as if you're not an interested party, if, if you know what I mean. What you can do is um, think to yourself, what kinds of questions do I want to be asked? What kinds of questions scare me what kinds of questions am I really afraid of being asked see if you can come up with a list a, a list of potential questions that you might imagine the examiners asking and how would you respond to those questions so what are the questions that are really scary for me that I really don't want my examiner to ask those are the ones that you probably need to pay the most attention to I think that's 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 a really useful piece of advice. Thank you. I remember actually that's something that happened in in my experience coming out of my upgrade viva. Your questions were fair, but also in many ways quite nightmarish, which provided oh. me with a really good opportunity going into the final viva um, several years later to imagine um, you because you were the examiner I knew at that point. Right. I'd met at least once imagining really difficult questions and this led to me creating what I call the nightmare sheet uh, where I had some notes on the worst possible questions I could be asked um, and how I might how I might answer them I asked my supervisor on the morning of my viva to put me on the spot and make me really uncomfortable for a few minutes and did he oh he did yes um, it was awkward because we know each other quite well but no he did he put me on the spot and he uh, 
he he helped me think through some of the some of the, the nightmare questions, if that makes sense. And what about during the the Vivo itself? Uh, then obviously it's a a nerve wracking experience uh, for the candidate. Um, could I ask? You've you've mostly worked as an internal examiner, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So in the UK system, at least, what contact is there between the the internal and the external examiner um, before the the Vivo itself? Um, there is quite a bit of contact, typically. Um, we each have to fill out a preliminary report form. And in that report form, we give a sense of whether or not we imagine that the dissertation fulfills the criteria for the award of the PhD. So we have to be in agreement about that. So I'm sure many of us... Um will already be familiar with what these criteria that you mentioned are, but could I ask if you'd be willing to just run through them again for anybody who's coming across these for the first time? Uh, of course, th- there are five different criteria, and actually you can find this in the um, TQA manual. Um, basically, you you need to have shown that you've created and interpreted some kind of new knowledge Um, It needs to be original research, some advanced scholarship, something that's peer review quality, um, extending the forefront of the discipline, and it merits publication. That's that's the first criterion. Um, The second is showing a systematic acquisition and understanding of a substantial body of knowledge, again, at the forefront of an academic discipline. You need to show the general ability to conceptualize, design, and implement a project for the generation of new knowledge, and the ability to adjust the project design in light of unforeseen problems. Um, The fourth is a detailed understanding of applicable techniques and advanced academic inquiry, and finally, a satisfactory level of literary presentation. Um, So basically, candidates when they submit their thesis, the preliminary reports look at whether or not the thesis meets these criteria. Um, so is there something original about it? Is Does it advance our knowledge in the discipline? Uh, is, it, is it written in um, a high form of academic discourse or not. I think the VIVA is really important because it gives the candidate a chance to expose what he or she has been working on for many, many years um, and for examiners to talk about the strengths and the weaknesses of that approach um, to give feedback, to give ideas for how this might be shaped into a book, um, that kind of a thing. Believe it or not, for me, the Viva is meant to be much more of a friendly process. <laughs> I know that it probably didn't feel like that to you. Um, but by the time you are at the level of submitting a PhD thesis, it means that you're entering into a different circle, if you will. Um, you're becoming a peer as opposed to a student. So I was wondering if we could just sort of fast forward a bit. You've uh, 
we, we, the, the candidate has just walked into the Viva or, or logged on if we're doing things in the COVID format. Um, you have produced a preliminary report that you have discussed with the, the external examiner. Um, you've come to a sort of preliminary conclusion. Is that right? That's right. The preliminary <laughs> report really just says something like this, this thesis meets the criteria for these reasons. Um, there may be these issues, um, or I, I anticipate um, the Viva dealing with particular uh, maybe problems. So it's kind of a, a brief evaluation. So obviously that brings us quite neatly onto the, the, the Viva itself. Um, it's clearly a very stressful experience for the, the candidate when they're you know sitting there uh, or logged on there with uh, two experts in the field being being grilled or at least being asked um, challenging questions. Um, what do you hope to see from candidates uh, during uh, during that viva process? I think one of the hardest things for candidates is listening. I think there's so much stress. Um, that sometimes candidates um, find it very difficult to properly listen to to what the examiner is asking. And if if you can remove yourself (laughs) slightly from the fact that this is your work and think about as you're being asked questions, what's useful about that question? I mean, I think examiners are not trying to, um, again, trap you or uh, trick you or anything. We're really there to improve the work. And so sometimes I've found that um, candidates are really, really stressed and not always paying attention to what's going on. This isn't always the case. This certainly wasn't the case when you were doing your Viva. Um, But I think you need to be open to the conversation going in directions that you may not have anticipated. What I like to see is a student or a candidate who is responsive to what's being said and what's being asked. Instead of um, kind of turning your wheels and and rehearsing arguments. I mean, in other words, if, if we're asking a question and you give the same answer that you gave in your thesis, you probably want to elaborate a little bit more because if we're asking the question, it means that you haven't done quite enough in writing and we want a little bit more in, uh, in your oral expression. And this presumably comes back to what you can do to, to prepare for the Bible as well. You can go through and you can annotate the thesis, pick up points that you thought might be asked about in the Viva and develop them further then in preparation for that. That's right. You, 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 it's good to think about, well, what kinds of ideas could I have elaborated on that maybe I didn't as, as thoroughly as I might have? And obviously the Viva itself can go on for quite a length of time. Uh, our one was, um, yeah. was four hours, uh, which I think is the maximum that Exeter allows. Um it's often said that the the length of the viva does not necessarily correspond to um, how well the candidate does. So, you know, a 90 minute viva doesn't mean an excellent candidate necessarily. And a four hour viva doesn't necessarily mean um, 
you know, a candidate nearly failed. Would you be able to say a little bit more about the sort of the length of vivas? Because I know that from from my experience, your vivas tend to be quite long ones, don't they? Um, I guess I'm always really interested in what I'm reading and I always have a lot of questions. Um, I, I would agree that the length of the viva doesn't reflect at all um, the quality of the thesis or the quality of the viva. Again, I wouldn't assume that if your viva is over in an hour and a half that you've completely done a a terrible job. Um, Typically, we um, give you some sense at the end of the viva of how we thought it went. So you get immediate feedback, at least um, informal feedback. I remember you telling me um, at the end of my viva that I was, quote, a fighter, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, which was an interesting term to use. Um, I think you were sort of, I think that was a compliment. Um, although, it was. Yeah, in the sense that I was kind of, defend, I was able to defend my points, but it was, yeah. uh, that's the, mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of feedback that, that you're referring to there when you say informal feedback. Is that is that fair to say, Michelle? That's right. And actually that kind of, um, you have to be really careful because, um what you did in your in, vi- in your viva and the way that you were a fighter was that you answered the questions in in such a way as to be persuasive. Um, you didn't rehash your thesis where there might have been weak points. You, you actually um, you actually really broadened the the perspective mm. in a way that was effective. Thank you. Um, so, saying, so saying that someone was a fighter could be one yes. of two. Uh, it could be complimentary, but it could also be you haven't really been listening to what we're asking. Yes, <laughs> but was, in your case, one. in your case, that that wasn't uh, what was going on. I was. I, 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 th- I thought. I thought you might want to clarify that because I can see. Yeah, it could definitely be argued one way or the other. Um, so that brings us rather neatly to the. Uh, possible outcomes I think of the viva I mean in in my viva um, you know I got minor corrections that's one of four possible outcomes that you can have Um, you mentioned that you have had experience of examining candidates who got major corrections which is something that I know a lot of people are uh, afraid of it's unlikely that you'll end up with with major corrections but I was wondering if you could say a bit more about your experience with that and whether it was the the end of the world as uh, as some candidates seem to think definitely for this particular individual was not um it was not the end of the world um it, i think it was it was um shattering uh, at the moment for the student um i i think the student was was really um not anticipating this uh, as a as a potential outcome um in hindsight, and this is where hindsight is always so great, uh, the work was significantly improved, so much so that I'm really hoping it's going to come out as a book. Um, I think, again, the purpose of the Viva is to allow you to elaborate on areas that you may not have done so well for you to get feedback on your thesis and to to work out how to make it better 
how to make it into something that will actually be read by other people and not just by your examiners. Um, so it might feel like uh, a kind of a violent process, um, but if, if you can sort of de-stress and think this is only for my thesis to be better, stronger, more persuasive, publishable, uh, it, it you'll be a lot more at ease and, and I think you you'll have the a, di- a different uh, experience of the viva I know that from my experience uh, you were kind enough and I know this this may not happen uh, in every case you uh, and Jocelyn my external were kind enough to provide me with um, sort of two levels of corrections Um so while I got minor corrections uh, at the thesis level, you made some more sort of substantial points that I'll need to consider as and when I look to publish this uh, in book form. Um, and I think that's a really a really interesting point to end on, actually, um, is that the thesis, you mentioned this earlier, um, is a living document. And the Viva aims to look at it not just as a PhD thesis, but also, is it fair to say, to give you advice going forward with it? Absolutely. Um, it might be that your thesis will be divided up into articles that you'll send out. It might be that you, you will have just um, a couple of chapters, you'll add a couple more, and that will be a book. And what you didn't include in your thesis will be an article. Um, we're really, we're, think, we're training you to be academics. When you get a PhD, we're assuming that you're going to be um, entering into this academic world um what do you need to do uh in order to be as be a part of this academic world you need to publish and so part of the purpose of the viva is to give you feedback not just on what you've produced but on what you might do with what you've produced i mean obviously not everyone will go into academia after a phd um but of course, it's it's very useful to know that that's what the uh, the PhD the, the PhD Viva is at least sort of preparing you for and training you for, and that it's part of a part of a, a, a perceived pipeline. Um, it, you know, it may be that there are parts of your PhD of your PhD thesis that you decide you want to put onto a blog or to um, send to a a newspaper publication, again, thinking about who your art audience is and, and how you might need to disseminate that information for more of a lay reader. And, you know, even if, even if you don't go on in academia, if you decide that, um, you know, teaching in a university is not your uh, dream job after all, think about the kinds of transferable skills that you've learned in writing your thesis. You've, you've learned how to research You've learned how to evaluate other uh, scholarship. You, you know how to situate your ideas. You know how to express your ideas in a persuasive way. These are important skills for any, any field. The, the process of submitting your thesis, of going through the VIVA, is um, admittedly and inherently stressful, um, but it really is designed to make sure that your work is the best that it can be. And that's what we're aiming for. 
I certainly found in in my experience with with you as my internal that that was that was what I got out of the driver. It was very stressful uh, beforehand. I was I was incredibly nervous going into it. Um, may have may have walked the entire um, circumference of the small room I was in about fifty times beforehand. Um, but coming out of it, I definitely felt like the um, comments that I'd got had the potential to make the thesis better. And the list of comments that I got, which I then went away and put into an Excel spreadsheet, um, really were a crucial tool when it came to revising the thesis and making it better, I think, to, to come back to a term that you've used. You know, the other thing about the Viva that's really, really lovely and amazing is that you're having a discussion about your work with two experts and you might have a four-hour conversation about your work. You very well might, experts. yes. And how, how, how rare uh, is that? I mean, how it's so unusual that you're able to get so much feedback and to, to be engaged in this really intellectually stimulating conversation, not just for half an hour, but for four hours on a subject that means so much to you. Uh, so I think, I think there is something really special about the Viva um, because it really is all about you and all about your work. And that kind of attention isn't, isn't always so common. And I think that's a really positive note to end on, actually, um, given all of the concerns that many of us have about the Viva. It's great to hear a bit more there about how it can actually be a really rewarding and positive experience. Thank you so much to Edward and Michelle, but also to John and Beeche for what I think has been a really, really rich um, trio of episodes about the process of the Viva. It's something that causes a huge amount of anxiety to PGRs. And I really, really hope that the insights of these three academics and the level of um, reflection and compassion with which they spoke will really reassure you in the supportiveness and integrity of this process. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development and everything in between.